Well, now please turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 12. As we continue to go through the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 34. And as you turn there, if you would stand with me as we read Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Jesus said to his disciples, verse 22, Luke chapter 12, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat. And what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and, and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there, there will your heart be also. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning, and let's pray that God would continue to work in our hearts as we look at this text. Father, you are our loving Heavenly Father that provides us with every good thing. It's your pleasure to bestow upon your children the things that they need and the things that you have in store for us. And we thank you for that. We, we think this week of Thanksgiving and our great desire to give thanks to you who's provided for us so richly. And we pray that our hearts would be at ease as we consider your love for us. Convict us, challenge us, teach us, and change us through this passage. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I heard the song for the first time in fifth grade. I was at an elementary talent show and a kid walked up on stage and the music began to play and I heard the the musical genius of Bobby McFerrin for the first time, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Maybe for those of you who can't remember the late 1980s, uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy was this a cappella song sang by, by Bobby McFerrin and For the next uh, few years, everywhere you went, you saw big smiley faces and the phrases, don't worry, be happy. The song began something like, uh, here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. In this life, we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. 
And I can remember seeing that phrase everywhere. And, and the first hundred times I heard that song, I thought it was musical genius. Uh, then it kind of dawned on me, this isn't that great of a song. You heard it everywhere, though, and, and it, you, there was even a music video. I don't know if you remember the music video, but it had Robin Williams and Bobby McFerrin and another famous guy, I can't remember his name right now, that was kind of a famous clown, and they were kind of dancing around, and, and you watch, and it's kind of a fun little video, and you hear the song, and you think, yeah, oh, I shouldn't worry, I, I should be happy, and then uh, life happens, and terrible things happen to you, and you think, that, you know that song? It's really not that effective. It's not really a philosophy, don't worry, be happy, that, that really actually does help you when your rent is late and the landlord might litigate. It really doesn't help to say don't worry, be happy at that point in time. This past week on a Wednesday, I met with some friends and uh, they, they said it was okay to share this with you. Uh, the husband has cancer right now and, and they're dealing with a lot of really tough decisions. And as they think about dealing with cancer, and for those of you who've dealt with cancer or other health issues in your life, you know that, that it can feel very overwhelming, and they've gotten some good news, and there's some, uh, looks like there's going to be some great treatment options available. We're very optimistic about what the future holds, but as you think about the future, you know, if you've ever dealt with an illness, for every decision you make, it doesn't always eliminate decisions. There's always more decisions beyond that to be made. And so you, you find out a couple things, you make some decisions, and then something else happens, and now there's a whole new set of decisions. And every set of decisions you make, it seems like, boy, did I make the right decision? Should I have done this instead? And there's just, as more information continues to come, you have more and more things to decide to do. And it's hard in that situation, as you're dealing with cancer, as you're dealing with some other health problem, to know, am I, am I making the right decision? And, and what does the future hold for me? It can feel very overwhelming, as I'm sure many of you know. And as we talked on Wednesday night, or Wednesday, the couple told me, look, our, our desire is to honor the Lord in this. We, we don't want to be anxious. We want to trust in him. And then they asked an excellent question. They said, but how do we do that? We know what we're supposed to do, but in this moment right now, as we think about dealing with this cancer and there's all these different options, how do we not worry? What, what would you say to a person in that situation? I tell you what I didn't do. I didn't start singing, hey, here's a little song I wrote. <laughs> Sing along with me. Uh, don't worry, be happy. I didn't do that. <laughs> I would imagine that if I talked with each one of you. I could probe until I found that area that causes you anxiety and fear and worry. I talked to my kids last night. We were talking about this text and I'm talking about this morning. I said, what causes you guys to worry? And they said, one of them said, the, the dark makes me scared. And we have another kid that uh, he's like our our calendar. He always wants to know, what are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing this afternoon? He's just kind of concerned. And once you tell him, it doesn't matter if you tell him, we're, you know, we're going to go out into the yard and uh, roll around in the dirt. He's, okay, I know what we're doing. I can deal with it now. He, he wants to know what's happening. We kind of went around, they all shared, and they said, and then we, I said, okay, now we're going to read the Bible. Said, wait, 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 all of them said, dad, 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 wait, wait, what, are you, what causes you to worry? I said, well, you know, I, I think the thing that causes me the greatest anxiety, honestly, is, is, is the physical health of you children. 
Ed Welch wrote a book called Running Scared, and in the book he chronicles a lot of things that cause people worry and anxiety. Some of us are, are worried about the safety and the well-being of those whom we love, and we think about our, our parents, and we think about, man, what a terrible thing if something happened to them, or we think about our friends, we think, man, what a terrible thing if something happened to one of my friends, or, or we think about our children, and the idea of something happening to our children just, just fills us with, with a sense of anxiety. I don't know how many of you attended the mayor's prayer breakfast on Thursday morning, but Dax Locks' mom spoke, and she talked about holding her son as, as he passed away. And there, wasn't, there weren't very many dry eyes in that room, and I would imagine most of us who were parents in that room all felt this sense of heaviness, thinking, that could happen to any one of us. Some of us feel anxiety just about our social situation. We're in school and we kind of worry about how our friends are going to view us. Some of us are kind of younger and, and we think, man, what's going to happen if I, if, I, if I lose my health, if I lose my figure, if I lose my hair, if I, I lose my intellect? What's going to happen to me if I, I lose these things? What's going to happen to me if I, I get ill? What's going to happen to me if, if something happens to my parents and, and they begin to go through this, this debilitating disease? What's the end of my life going to look like? What's going to happen uh, if, if I lose prestige in my job? What's going to happen if my, these car payments come due too soon and I, I lose my job or I, I lose this position? And I, again, I could probe, I could poke, I could prod, and I would find that button that causes you to go, Oh yeah, I am kind of worried about that. I am kind of anxious. What's going to happen to me after I die? Are people going to remember? Are people going to forget about me? How long are people going to remember about me? Remember me? What's the afterlife like? Worry, anxiety, concern. All of us face it. And simply saying, don't worry, be happy, not all that helpful. Here in the text that we're looking at this morning, Jesus does say, don't worry. That's the first command that he's given. We're going to look at two commands. The first command that Jesus is going to give is do not be anxious. Later, we're going to see that he gives a second command, and it's do seek the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, do not be anxious, be happy. He says, do not be anxious, and then he's going to give a positive thing for us to strive after instead. And the central idea that I hope you grasp as we look at this text is that the more that I seek after the kingdom of God, the less concerned I am about loss in this kingdom. The more I seek after the kingdom of God, the less concerned I become about loss in this kingdom. As I begin to let go of the things in this kingdom and not care about them as much, I'm seeking after the kingdom of God, and these things seem less consequential. Let's look at the first command, do not be anxious, beginning in verse 22. Now, you remember what the context of verse 22 is, I hope. Began in Luke 12, verse 1, Jesus is kind of being surrounded by a lot of people. They're kind of trampling over themselves to get to him. He began by saying some words to his disciples. And then last week, someone kind of slips their way through the crowd and calls out this question to Jesus. Actually, it's not a question, it's a demand. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, to give me my portion. And Jesus understands that this guy has a bigger problem than whether or not he gets what's coming to him. His bigger problem is a spiritual problem, the problem of covetousness. 
with a love for the material things of this world. Greed is a greater problem than poverty. Greed is a greater spiritual problem, a greater problem to your soul than being impoverished. And so Jesus addresses the bigger issue first. And as he addresses that, that bigger issue, the issue of poverty, he lets us know that it's a fool who invests in this kingdom at the expense of their heavenly investment. That's what he's just said as we come to verse 22. Now he draws his attention to his disciples again, not paying as much attention to the larger crowd. And in verse 22, he said to his disciples, therefore, because of what I just said to this guy about the person who's rich toward himself and not toward God, therefore, because that's true, because you should be seeking a heavenly investment, because that's true, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. That's the command, do not be anxious. That word anxious means to to care deeply about. Sometimes it can be used in a positive sense, but most often in Scripture it's used negatively. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Luke 10, 41 that we looked at some time ago. The Lord tells Martha, 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 you are anxious. You're, You're deeply concerned about, you are troubled about many things. Luke 12, 11 that we just looked at, he says, when they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't be, don't be anxious. Don't be overly concerned. Don't let your heart be set upon how you should defend yourself or what you should say. 1 Corinthians 7, 32, Jesus says, I want you to be, or Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So this word anxiety here, this word anxious, this command not to be anxious, is, is talking about what I, what I care deeply about, those, those things that, that keep me awake. Your heart should not be set upon, should not be anxious, should not be overly concerned with the physical things of this world. It shouldn't be overly concerned with the things of this kingdom. In fact, you and I, Scripture tells us, also should not have anxiety about things that are important and how they operate in this kingdom. For example, I should care about my children, but I I shouldn't be untrusting of God and anxious about what God's plans for my children are. I should care about other believers, but if God's plan for them in this kingdom is different than the plan I would like for God to have for them, I shouldn't be anxious about that either. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't fear. You say, well, all right, Daniel, how, how big of a deal is fear really, though? How big of a deal is anxiety? I mean, I've got a lot of sin I'm struggling with. You know, I, and you think about all the sins that are in the world. How, how important is, is fear, anxiety, worry? Isn't lying a lot worse than anxiety or fear, worry? You know what? the most frequent command in Scripture is? The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The second is like it, Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. All the commandments are derived from that. But you know what the most frequent instruction in Scripture is? The, the command that comes through more frequently than any other? Don't fear. Do not be afraid. That's the command that God gives us over and over and over again throughout Scripture. For example, Isaiah 41, 14, Fear not, you worm Jacob. 
You men of Israel, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 44, 8, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it, and you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God understands that our hearts are naturally inclined to fear things, to have anxiety about the future. And God's instruction throughout Scripture is, look, don't be afraid, trust in me, trust in the rock, see and believe that I'm the Redeemer, and then allow your emotions to follow that, allow your thoughts to, to reflect that, your actions to reflect that. The problem is, of course, that you and I frequently fail in that. We're frequently violating Jesus' instructions to his disciples here and practicing the exact type of fear that he tells us not to practice. What happens is that you and I begin to love something, right? We love something material or we love something that's happening in this kingdom world and we love it and then we think about the future and the possibility of losing that, not having access to that, and what happens? We become anxious about it. And that's why our worry reveals what we love. Our worry reveals what it is that we love. God calls us not to worry, to trust in him. We think about the things we have in this world. We think about losing them, not having access to them, them not operating the way that we want them to do. We have anxiety about it and it reveals what our true love is. We fail, we fail in many, many ways. I think I've shared with you before, kind of the, the moment in my life where I felt the, the greatest level of anxiety. It was whenever my second child was, was born, Austin, and whenever Hannah was born, she had had some health problems. She'd, she'd sped up and, 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 and almost suffocated to death, and so we had this, this second child born, and, and I, I've shared with you before, I believe, I, I just, as we were in the hospital, uh, just had this overwhelming sense of anxiety and worry, and it manifested itself in some very ungodly ways. I mean, I wouldn't leave his side. I was so concerned about something happening to him. But what does Scripture say? Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. You say, but Daniel, <laughs> do you know how bad life is? Why not worry? <laughs> Lots of bad things happen out there. I mean, you worry about things, but one of the reasons you worry about things is because bad things happen. The nice thing about being a, a pessimist is, is what? You're often right. In fact, um, I had a joke that I was going to tell you about pessimism, but I, I thought I'd probably mess it up and you wouldn't laugh. And So, I was right. That was it. Listen to what Jesus says, though. Why not worry? Why not worry? Why not be afraid? Why not be anxious? What's so bad about it? Jesus gives three reasons here why you and I shouldn't be anxious. Number one, number one, he says there's more to life 
than whatever it is you're worrying about. Number one, there's reason number one not to be anxious is there's more to life than whatever it is you're worrying about. Verse 23 says this, there's life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Whatever it is that you're worried about, whatever it is that you're concerned about, isn't the essence of life. In fact, uh, keep your fingers there in Luke 12. Just turn back a couple chapters to Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, remember we went through the parable of the sower, and the parable of the sower is the sower went out to sow a seed. This is uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 5, and some of it falls along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Then secondly, in verse 6, some, of the, some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Then you have this third group, and this, this is the third of four groups. The fourth group is, is successful, it bears fruit, but this third group gets really, really close, verse 7. Some of the seed fell among the thorns, and what happened? The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Now, what does that represent? What does that seed represent? What does that, that heart represent in that type of soil? Well, verse 14 tells us of Luke chapter 8. As for that, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, they hear the word of God, but what happens? They go on their way and they are choked by the cares, by the anxieties and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. What happens in the heart that's consumed with worry and anxiety? It begins thinking about those things that aren't the most important things. Jesus says here in verse 23, go back to Luke chapter 12, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. A person who is consumed with worry about the things of this world, worried about the things in this world going the way that they want them to go, is a person who is thinking about things that aren't the most important things. Their heart is turned away from God onto things. When I was in junior high, we had a, a wonderful English teacher that was brilliant and a, a little scatterbrained. And we exploited that in terrible ways that I'm ashamed to talk about this morning, but I'm going to anyway. Um, she had, Mrs. D had two things that could distract her. If you were in, a conver in some sort of classroom situation and you were about to take a test or there's some sort of very boring thing that we're about to do, there were two subjects that you could talk about to get her completely and totally distracted. Number one was the human brain. She loved talking about the human brain and it, it fascinated her the way that the human brain operated. The second thing, and I am, I, this is a true story, the second thing that we found out about accidentally was her vacuum cleaner. She loved to talk about her vacuum cleaner. And so if there's some sort of unpleasant class discussion about to come, uh, Mrs. D, how big is your vacuum cleaner again? Do you think it could pick up that ball over there? Really? No. And she'd talk about all the accessories that this vacuum cleaner had and, and how it could, and seriously, ding, 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 oh, the class is over. You know, feel very guilty about it now. But uh, she was a sweet, sweet lady and, and very brilliant, like I said. Um, but it was easy to distract her. What, what happens to the human heart as it begins to thinking about the, the vacuum cleaners, the things of this world, it turns its attention away from God and his value and his glory and focuses on things that aren't that important. What does scripture tell us about God, about our treasure? 
What about the value of God? Psalm 16.5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Psalm 27.4, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 70 verse 4 says, May all who see you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The purpose of the gospel is to bring us to God. Colossians 3.11 says, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or an uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What does worry do? Worry causes us to forget that there's more to life than whatever it is that we're worrying about, and it focuses us away from God onto the troubles that we're facing. The second reason Jesus tells us not to be anxious is in verse 24. The second reason is that God values you and knows your need. Verse 24 says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and and yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds. Whenever you engage in worry, you're either doubting or forgetting about God's ability or his goodness. I I mentioned Ed Welch's book earlier. When he talks about worry, he mentions that, that worriers are like false prophets. They're like fortune tellers. There is uh, this imagery here is of, a, of a farmer, and he says, you know, ravens aren't farmers, kind of hearkening back to the parable he just told. They don't think about the future. What does a farmer do? A farmer sows. Why? Because he likes sowing? No, because he knows that if he sows, he reaps. A farmer reaps. Why? Because he just likes the work? No, because he knows he can put in the storehouses, barns, and have more later. A person who worries is a person who's so consumed with the future, they're like false prophets saying uh, that something bad's going to happen. I, I know it, and so I'm just going to prepare for it. That's worry. It's false prophecy. You say, but Daniel, Daniel, hold on. Sometimes, sometimes the things I worry about do happen. Yeah, well, a Ouija board is sometimes right too, but I don't recommend you know, stock advice from it, right? There was a guy that was upset at me one time. Well, several times, people have been upset at me. One time, a guy who was upset at me told me, he said, look, Daniel, God is going to strike you dead this year, which I thought was a little extreme. I, you know, I think we've crossed the line from disagreement to threatening me with divine retribution. I said, look, um, first of all, I feel a lot more safe about this year than I did just a moment ago because I don't think that's a true prophecy. But, but secondly, God could do that, and it would be within his rights to do it, but I, I don't think it will be because you say so. By the way, the years passed. I've, I've been okay if some of you were kind of worried about that. What do worriers do? The worriers think about the future, and they make false prophecies about what's going to happen over the coming year. Jesus tells us, look, God loves you. He has placed a great value upon you, and he knows what your needs are. Zephaniah 3.17. In Zephaniah 3.17, we we read this about about God. He says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. 
he will exult over you with loud singing. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's love and, and care for you? I think sometimes in our right focus on God's sovereignty and our depravity, we, we fail to rightly also proclaim that in his grace and his mercy and his giving us new life, God also just delights and, and loves us. First Peter 5 tells us about humility. In verse 6 it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares, all your anxieties on him. Why? What does it tell us? Because he cares for you. God is a loving God who knows what your needs are and he values you and he has the ability to provide for all that you need for life and godliness. A person who is a worrier fails to believe that and fails to practice that. The third thing Jesus says here about worry and why we shouldn't worry, number three, worry cannot accomplish anything of value. Look at verse 25. It says, look, uh, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Imagine you have this, this thing coming up, and, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I have this thing coming up, now I'm going to worry about it. And you worry about it for a week, and what happens? The worry produces nothing. Worry can't add, he says, even a single hour to your life. Worry, studies tell us, in fact, actually decreases your lifespan. I saw a study this last week that says eating vegetables and fruits, all your vegetables and fruits, adds five years to your life. Worry uh, subtracts six. So kids, if your parents tell you to eat your vegetables, tell them that you've decided just not to worry instead, and it works out. You gain, No, don't tell them that. Worry can't accomplish anything of value. It doesn't produce anything. Worry doesn't cause good things to happen. He says, look... Uh, Verse 28, but God clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and, and tomorrow, and tomorrow is, is thrown in the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? God knows your needs, and worry won't accomplish anything of value. Then he gives kind of a summary statement. Verse 29 and 30, repeating what he's already said. Do not seek what you're to eat, what you're to, to drink. Don't be worried. And then he says this, verse 30, that's very key. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. The physical things of this world, the, the pleasures, the eating, the drinking, the physical things that a person needs, everyone else is seeking after those things. He says, but the Father knows that you need them. So that's what we're not to do. We're, we're not to be anxious. Now, what's the positive command? It's not just be happy. Look what it says in verse 31. Here we have the second command, do seek the kingdom of God. Don't be anxious. Do seek the kingdom of God. Verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about the things that the nations seek after and worry about and concern about. Instead, seek God's kingdom, and these things will be added to you. A person who fixes their heart and attention and desire and passion on God is going to be seeking his kingdom. It's the polar opposite to a person that's stuck in the minutia of this kingdom. Now, some people in part of the kind of the health and wealth gospel who believe that God wants every person to prosper financially will look at this and say, aha, look at verse 31. 
Verse 31 says, seek the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you. If you seek God's kingdom, he's going to give you lots of food and he's going to give you a car and he's going to give you all these things. A person who has that interpretation of verse 31 has totally missed the point. Imagine if you told me, uh, hey Daniel, I have this problem. I need a ride to the grocery store to get some food. I really need that. And I said, yeah, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. You've been asking me for rides a lot lately, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about your, your lack of ability to be able to provide for yourself without a car. It's hard for you to get a job. I'm giving you a car. And I'm going to give you this car, and, and you can do all these things with the car, and you can go to the grocery store. And the person says, I'm going to the grocery store. Yes. No, you've missed the point. I just gave you a car. A person who reads verse 31 and says, yes, I get the things in this kingdom, is a person who's missed the point. The point is that a person who seeks after God's kingdom is, is going to obtain God's kingdom, something that's of far more value than the insignificant things in this kingdom. And again, remember the main idea, I believe, of these verses is that a person that's seeking after the kingdom of God is going to be a person that cares less about loss or gain in this kingdom, Right? He goes on. He says, it's the, it's the Father's, verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, don't be concerned, because God desires you to be given the heavenly kingdom. R. Kent Hughes tells of a time that he saw this luxury car, and on this luxury car was a license plate that said, tithe. In other words, I tithe, and so God gave me this car. It's a person who's totally missed the point, right? God says, I'm giving you the kingdom. Now, Jesus goes on, and he gives us what I believe are some principles for how we seek the kingdom of God. A principle number one for living for eternity, number one, number one, let go of this kingdom. Let go of this kingdom. Divest yourself from the things that exist in this kingdom and the things of this kingdom. He says in verse 33, sell your possessions and, and give to the needy. Whenever Whitney and I were first married, we moved in with a, a couple, or this, this couple had a, an apartment, this one-room apartment, and they, they let us move into this apartment but before we could move into this. Now when I say one room, I don't mean one, it was just one room. You rolled out of bed and you were in the kitchen. It was a very tiny and they had let someone else, before we could renovate it, they let someone else store all their stuff. And I'll call the, this family that stored their stuff there the, the Weebs, but that wasn't the real name. But the Weebs had, had from like floor to ceiling stuck their stuff in this room. And we opened the front door to this apartment and, and just we couldn't even kind of work our way really through this, this room. And we looked over one section, there were eight or nine mattresses just stacked on top of it. Why, why would anyone want eight or nine mattresses? And we call that the, the parable of the weaves. We, we learned it right away. So look, this is never going to happen to us. We don't want our things to control us. And a person who is immersed in this kingdom and worried about the things of this kingdom can't let go of it. The idea of, of losing some of their investments just fills them with anxiety. The idea that God might take away their home or might take away their cars or might take away some of their things just fills them with concern. Look, if you want to live for the kingdom of God, you've got to let go of this one. 
What does that mean? Well, for the people that Jesus is talking to here, it meant selling their possessions. And I have no doubt that for us, it means letting go of some of the physical things that God has entrusted to us as well. If you want to truly not worry about this kingdom, let go of some of the stuff that you're holding on to. Do seek the kingdom of God. How do you do that? Number one, let go of the things of this kingdom. Number two, as you divest, provide for the needs of others. What does he say? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. This is an instruction that that Jesus gives to those of us who are going to follow after him in obedience. If you want to seek the kingdom of God, you need to provide for the needs of others. Now, what those needs look like, what people God brings across your path, it may be different for different ones of us. But God says, look, if you're going to truly invest in my kingdom and get away from the worries and the concerns of this kingdom, you got to look at the needs of others and provide for them. Provide for the needs of of others. Begin living for eternity today. Scripture tells us over and over again that it is a dangerous place for you to stand between a holy God and those who are in need. For example, in in Deuteronomy 24, as he's talking about his principles for his people, he talks about how he's a God that's watching out for those who have have physical and emotional and spiritual needs, and, and you're in real spiritual danger if you place yourself between a holy God and those who have these needs. Sell your possessions, he says, verse 33, and, and give to the needy. Number three, as I seek the kingdom of God, what do I do? I rest in my secure investment. He says, verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. It doesn't matter how much you diversify, It doesn't matter if you buy tons of gold and you stick it underneath your mattress or you bury it in a hole in your backyard. It doesn't matter if you invest in uh, Prudential or T. Rowe or wherever, Scott Trade. No matter what you do with your investments, what's going to happen? One, something bad is going to happen to the investment. It's going to lose value here in this kingdom, most likely. Number two, it's all going to be burnt up anyway. It's all going to be burnt up anyway. There's not a retirement plan in the world that can free you from anxiety because no matter what you do, there's 100% certainty of it not lasting to eternity if you're focused on this kingdom. Fourth principle, fourth principle, therefore, is check your heart as you find your treasure. Check your heart as you find your treasure. What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? What are you treasuring? Whatever it is that you're worried about reveals what you love, and what you love shows where your heart is. Friday night, I'm walking down the hallway. My oldest daughter calls out to me, Dad, Dad, uh, Ellie's talking, which is not a surprise. Um, Ellie loves to talk. Even, Even in her sleep, she talks. She told me one time, Daddy, I just love to talk. I know, sweetheart. I love to talk. So I walk down the hallway, and Hannah goes, Daddy, uh, Ellie's talking. And uh, Hannah very wisely uh, knew that I'd probably correct Ellie. She says, and Dad, she's talking about heaven. Oh. So 
I go in there, I say, Ellie, what are you talking about? She says, well, Daddy, I'm, I'm wondering about heaven. I said, well, what are you wondering about heaven? She says, well, Daddy, when people die, how do they see in heaven? Because their eyes are closed. Like, no, no, no. Uh, you get a new body in heaven, and, and, and that, that eye will be, those eyes can open and see again. I said, oh. Well, Daddy, uh, how will my dollies get to heaven? Oh, yeah, sweetheart, your dollies are all going to burn up. Nothing's going to last. <laughs> Eyes about the size of saucers. Dad, she holds up lion. Lion, too? Now, at that moment, at that moment, I had a choice to make, right? Oh, no, lion's in. Talk to God. He's cool. He's in. Or other extreme, yeah, put a marshmallow on that sucker because he's toast. And what I told her, I said, look, Ellie, I looked at her, you know what I saw? I saw myself. She loves that lion. And the thought that the lion won't be in, in heaven with her causes her great concern. And you know what? I'm the same way. And so maybe some of you disagree with this, but this is why I told her. I said, look, Ellie, I, I love you. And I am so excited that, that you are learning how to love as you play pretend. But that lion isn't going to be in heaven. God's going to give you everything you need to be happy in heaven, but that lion isn't it. The things that are going to last forever are the word of God, God, and people. And so you and I, we need to be investing in things that are going to last forever, not things that are going to be burned up. And you know, you and I are the same way. We get so worried about what's going to happen to my lion What's going to happen to my investments? What's going to happen to this? What's going to happen to that? You know what? It's all going to burn up. So I told her, Ellie, you got to love people. She got this relieved expression on her face. She goes, oh, Dad, it's okay. Lion is a person. <laughs> I didn't argue. I just, okay, we've begun to make headway. What do we, we're worried, right? We worry, we worry, we worry, we stress, we fret. We're concerned about the things of this world. And God says, look, 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 seek my kingdom. The more you seek my kingdom, the less concerned you will be about loss in this one. That's the heart that God desires to have, us to have, a heart that loves him and seeks his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for how you provide for us and care for us and Help us to not love the things of this world, but to seek after those things which are eternal. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.